Thank you, youth of Snyder Memorial Baptist Church, for leading us in worship this morning. That song takes me back. I hear that's the theme song for your choir tour. That, that song was the theme song for my choir tour circa 1997 with First Baptist Nashville on our choir tour. I have no idea where we were at the time, but I was singing along right there with you. Great song. <clears throat> you guys did it well. It is Father's Day, as <clears throat> Lee Ellen beautifully prayed. Thank you for that, that sweet prayer, Lee Ellen. And my children have decided to give me as an early Father's Day present, the stomach bug. So uh, at 1 a.m. last night, my, my kids decided they would start throwing up and all that kind of fun stuff. So they're not here today for Father's Day, and my wife is home with them, and I'm sure they're watching it now. But um, we uh, do appreciate all that our dads do uh, for us, and I appreciate my dad greatly. Reverend Ken Parker is going to be with us next week here while I'm in Guatemala with our mission team. And uh, several of our people asked me, is your dad preaching today? I said, no, no. And they were like, oh. And I was like, oh, really? I'm, I'm going to be here, and I'm still going to preach. And they seem disappointed, but he's a great guy. I've, I've learned a lot from him. He's been a great role model for me and a great example for me in ministry. He was, uh, my parents are from Texas, from southeast Texas, and then they, he worked as an associate pastor at a church in Pasadena near Houston for five years, and then he got the call from the Sunday school board here in Nashville to come and work as an editor, and he moved here in the, the late 70s before I was born, a few years before my sister and I were born, and then he worked at Lifeway for almost 22 years, and then left to go back into the pastorate in 2000, my senior year in high school at Oak Valley Baptist Church in Franklin, just south of here. I told you my whole life was on Hillsborough Road. Uh, if you turn right out of our parking lot and go south for about 25, 30 miles, you'll hit Oak Valley Baptist Church. And then he retired in 2012, and now they just basically hang out with my kids all the time, which is great, and my sister's kids. So it's wonderful to have him with us next week. I'm sure that you'll see him do something or hear him say something and say, oh, that's where Nathan gets that from. He's a strong influence in my life. So this morning, I'm going to wrap up my part of the discipleship series for this month of June, and uh, my dad's going to finish it off next week with the, the, the topic of the cost of discipleship, what it costs to follow Christ as Master and Lord. But today, I want to talk about making disciples, about other disciples that we get to influence and help make and shape in our lives. So our text for this morning is a passage that you may have heard before about making disciples, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So if you would stand, if you're able to, in honor of God's word as I read our text from the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, this passage is one of the, the most famous passages in all of Scripture, and it's also one of the most important passages. We call this passage in the, the church tradition the Great Commission. The Great Commission. You know what commission means? The dictionary says that the word commission is an instruction. 
It's a command or a duty that's given to a person or to a group of people. Commission can also refer to a a group of people who have been officially charged with a particular function, like the, the commission of the court, the high commission or whatever. We have been given a commandment, an instruction, a duty, and we are a people who have been officially charged with a great function. Jesus' disciples, those, you know, ragtag group of disciples who had given up their lives to follow Jesus as master and Lord, those who have left their nets and their boats and their families behind, what he's saying to them is that you have now been commissioned to take this good news, this gospel message of redemption through Christ into all the world now. It's a huge shift from how the disciples have operated so far in the Bible. Throughout the Gospels, they're just this kind of homeless, vagabond group of wanderers who literally follow their rabbi from town to town throughout the Judean countryside. But when you get to the book of Acts, right after Jesus returns to the Father, you see this explosion of Christianity across the world. The apostles are no longer walking the dusty roads of Judea. They're getting in boats and going across the oceans. They're going across the Mediterranean Sea to to Italy, to Spain, to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus said they would do. The Great Commission marks this drastic turning point in the mission of God to spread his kingdom and his gospel news across the world. So what changed? What what happened before the Great Commission that led to this explosion of Christianity? Well, first and foremost, the resurrection of Jesus Christ fuels the spread of the gospel. But also, it's it's not only the, the fact that Jesus rose again and then ascended into the Father, but then the promised Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter, the parakletos would come and fill God's people and empower them to spread the the gospel news into all the world. So Jesus begins the Great Commission in verse 18, if you have your Bibles, by explaining that now that he has risen from the dead in his new resurrected body, all the limitations of the incarnation are off. He now has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus, at this point, contains all the supreme power throughout the universe. He's in charge. He's in complete control. But, and then in verse 19, you expect him maybe to say, like, since I have all authority, I'm going to do this, this, and this. But instead, he says, because of who I am, because of the authority that I've been given, those who follow me have a great commission to go and make disciples. Because of who I am, now my followers have been told this great instruction to go into all the world with the gospel. And I've usually heard this passage preached and taught as an evangelistic text, right? Go and, and, and make converts. Go and get people to make a one-time decision for the Lord. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. Does he say go and, and make converts of all nations? Is this about trying to get people to to make this quick decision for Christ and maybe someday they 
will be in a church. Maybe someday they'll be affiliated with Christ. No. He says to make disciples. As we examine the five New Testament purposes of the church this year, worship, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, and ministry, as we do that, I think this text applies every bit as much to discipleship as it does to evangelism. We are told to not make converts, but to make disciples. Disciples have a singular goal in their lives. They've been given a great vocation, a great calling to spend the rest of their lives following Jesus in order to become like him. Their whole lives are defined by the person that they now follow as master and as Lord. One commentary that I read said that Jesus is not giving us here a command that will merely secure nominal adherence to a group, but one that will secure wholehearted commitment to a person. In the first century, a disciple didn't enroll in such and such a school. A disciple enrolled with such and such a teacher. You were defined by your rabbi, by the person that you followed as a disciple. Being a disciple is not about your church membership. It's not about your affiliation denominationally or anything like that. It's not about joining some club. It's not about being in on the inside now. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is about dying to yourself as you receive the life of Jesus that was given for you as a ransom. Our rabbi is unlike any other rabbi that ever walked the earth, and therefore his disciples should be different from any other disciples that walk the earth. We follow a, a risen rabbi who has walked through death and resurrection. We follow a rabbi who not only gave us words of life and, and taught us deep and abiding truth, but he died for us and he rose again. Our commitment, therefore, to our rabbi is complete and total. Here I am, Lord, take all of me. From my head to my toes, it's all yours. We've died with him, and we've been raised into a whole new kind of existence, a whole new resurrected life. That's what Christian discipleship is all about, living that resurrected life out. This is why all Christian churches baptize in one way or another, they baptize. Because first and foremost, Jesus tells us to here in verse 19, baptizing them, he says, but also because it's a powerful outward symbol of the inward reality that we have participated with Christ in his death. We've died to ourselves, and we've been raised just like Jesus was raised into a whole new kind of humanity, a whole new kind of, of way to be human in this world. And you see that there's a, a global scope to the Great Commission. When I think of the Great Commission, I always think of all the nations, right? The whole world. We're, as disciples of Christ, we're charged with making disciples of all nations, which is a fulfillment of what God told Abraham thousands of years before this, back in chapter 12 of Genesis, right? Chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 
2 and 3 says, God tells Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, you Abraham, the special family of God, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, who's the special family of God on this side of the cross? It's us as Christians. Paul makes that clear in Galatians 3. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. So we've been given this charge to bless the whole world. How? By making disciples of all nations. That's God's plan to bless the world. And it's not about being baptized It's not about being baptized in the name. Remember he says the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We worship a God who is three in one. Baptism is not the goal. He does say that we make disciples baptizing them, but baptism is only the beginning of the discipleship journey. In verse 20, Jesus makes it clear that discipleship is about learning the ways of Jesus. It's about then living out those ways of Jesus. He says that disciples should be taught, that we're supposed to be teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He doesn't say that these new disciples should be able to pick and choose what parts of Jesus' teaching they like and then do those things. He says to observe all that I have commanded That as disciples, we should observe all that he commanded and what that means as we live our lives daily. You may say, whoa, that's impossible. How can I possibly live out all the ways of Jesus in my daily life? Well, he gives us a promise here. We're not alone. We don't have to figure this out as best as we can. His final words in the Gospel of Matthew are a promise to us, behold, look, he says, look, look, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus doesn't say, I will be with you. He doesn't say, I have been with you, and that's pretty cool. (laughs) He says, I am with you. I, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, am with you. We're not left to walk this road by ourselves. Jesus is with us. He's a constant companion. What a comfort that is. I love the old hymn. I've I've heard it sung at funerals now, mostly, Lynn Becker, but in the garden, right? And he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. And the love we share as we tarry there, the joy we share (laughs) as we tarry there none other has ever known. It's a beautiful picture of discipleship, walking and talking with Jesus as a companion on the road to become more like him. But before we really get into discipling others, this is my last shot at talking about discipleship, so I want to make sure that we really understand what it means as part of this series. I'll be talking about it for the rest of my career here, but I want us to really know what this journey of discipleship looks like. It's a lifelong process, right? We said that discipleship is about becoming sanctified, and sanctification doesn't end until Jesus comes back and makes us glorified. 
So we, we engage in this process of becoming more holy, sanctification. We walk with Christ, living out all that he has commanded us. And as we do this, we grow more and more into Christ-likeness. Have you seen those, those pictures of people who look like they're dogs? I think it's hilarious. They say that the longer you live with this dog, the more the dog and you look the same. It's so funny to me, the people who, who look like they're dogs. We should be growing more and more into looking like Jesus, our companion. There should be progress on the road of discipleship. We should be maturing as we walk this road of discipleship. We should be growing in our character. You know, I signed up to run a marathon a few years ago. I got roped into it for a really great charity. And I, I got a training plan. You know, I, I found a good plan online. And it, it said the, the first week of training, run 45 minutes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then run for two hours on Saturday. I said, okay, that sounds doable, you know. And I got out there and I, I ran uh, for about 30 minutes and I was toast. I couldn't run more than than 30 minutes. I, I was like, there's no way I'd be able to run for 45 three times a week. And then on Wednesday, I could only run about 20 because my legs were so sore from running 30 two days before. But the cool thing that happens as you train is after a few weeks of putting the miles in, putting the, the time in, I was able to run for 45 minutes straight. And then I was able to run for an hour straight. And then I was able to run for two hours straight. And, and I was shooting for a sub-four-hour marathon. It was all coming together after putting in over 300 miles in four months of training. You make progress. You get fitter. It gets easier. Are we making progress in our Christian life and faith? I don't know if it was a, a professor or a, a pastor. I forgot where I, I heard about this spiritual exercise. But I've done it in the last five or six years, and it's really humbling and energizing as well, it can be incredibly convicting, is every New Year's Day, sometime around New Year's Day, sometimes I do it a couple days before New Year's or a couple days after, but I sit down and I write down the nine fruits of the Spirit. I write them down, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Write them on a sheet of paper, leave a, a gap between them, and then give yourself a, a self-evaluation. Have you grown in these nine areas over the last 365 days? Are you more loving than you were a year ago? Are you more joyful? Are you more peaceful in your heart than you were a year ago? Are you more patient? Whew, that's, a, that's a tough one for me. My son Jude and I are praying for each other on, on patience because we, we struggle with patience. But is God engendering this fruit in my life? Is the Holy Spirit bearing out these good things more and more as I grow and mature as a Christian? You should try it this New Year's. It'll teach you a lot. Some of you may have heard of Scotty Smith. Scotty Smith is a great Presbyterian pastor. He's retired now, but he planted Christ Community Church down in Franklin back in the 80s. And he talks a lot about growing in grace. Growing in grace is about sanctification. It's about maturing as we walk the path of discipleship. And I enjoy following Scotty on social media. He often posts uh, little pithy statements with the hashtag, signs you're growing in grace. I want to share a few of them with you now. These are signs that you're growing in grace. 
You throw less pity parties because you go to Jesus quicker than you go to self-contempt. Your repentances come quicker with less pouting, excuses, and vain promises. On a two-lane road becoming one lane, you don't speed up just to get around three extra cars. Yikes, anybody do that? (laughs) You don't try to take 23 items through the 10-item only checkout line at the grocery store. You catch people doing it right a three-to-one ratio to doing it wrong. You've actually read Nahum and Obadiah. A sign you're growing in grace is less theological arrogance and greater appreciation for diversity in the body of Christ. Ouch. A sign you're growing in grace is you work much harder at remembering names and forgetting slights. A sign you're growing in grace is that everybody notices it but you. That's a good one. A sign you're growing in grace is movement from destructive cynicism towards redemptive engagement. Anyone can spew. A sign you're growing in grace is evident when you receive feedback non-defensively and give it clearly and lovingly. A sign you're growing in grace is evident when people don't feel like they have to walk on eggshells around you as much. A sign you're growing in grace is when you say, I'll be praying for you, and you actually do it. A sign you're growing in grace is committing fewer homicides in your heart of slow drivers. (laughs) A sign you're growing in grace is praying for our government rather than simply being cynical about our government. A sign you're growing in grace is that you're more disgusted with your own critical spirit than offended by others' sins. The more you learn about Jesus and the gospel, the more you realize how little you know. You're growing in grace if you realize that Baptist types are a tiny minority in the entire body of Christ. You're growing in grace if the gospel still astonishes and humbles you, if it's not just cliche or the name of your tribe. You're growing in grace if you get sucker punched by condemnation for sin less, but convicted more. You're growing in grace if your spouse and your children are the first to notice the signs. If you pray for people you'd really rather gossip about, if you use labels less to dismiss people or marginalize their comments. This is a good one too. You're growing in grace if you just take a brownie without looking for the biggest or the best crust-edged brownie. (laughs) You're growing in grace if you don't always have to win or be right. You're growing in grace if you give up the last word. You're growing in grace if you seek to give more than you take. If you try to be a good friend, then worry about others being a good friend to you. If you fall in love with scripture, if you can't wait to gather with the saints to sing God's praises here in this beautiful sanctuary, if you seek to understand before you seek to be understood, if you try to be a friend to the friendless for no other reason than Jesus would. Aren't those great? It's a good metric, isn't it? 
Don't you want to be the kind of person that is a mature Christian, that is a mature disciple, someone who's full of grace, someone who's full of joy, someone who's full of love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It can only happen through discipleship, from following our rabbi more clearly and more dearly. And if we're doing that, if we're really following Christ, we will obey the great commission to make disciples of others. You know, all of us have people in our lives that we have influence over, people who we can help form and shape. You know, as disciple-making is basically influencing others with an aim to first convert them, yes, but then to disciple them to aid them in their own discipleship journey, to see them grow in grace and become more like Jesus. You know, parents, this is Father's Day, and parents have a very serious responsibility as the primary influencers over their children and therefore as the primary disciplers of their children. It's not Trey's job, it's not, it's not Rachel's job to disciple my kids, it's my job. Trey and Rachel will come alongside of me and help me and give me resources and encourage me and pray for me, but it's my job and my wife's job to disciple our kids. You know, maybe there's a person at work who is younger than you, a coworker who needs mentoring. Maybe that's an opportunity for you to not just be a mentor, but to be a discipler, to enter into a discipling relationship where you do life together, where you're praying together, where you're reading scripture together, where you worship together. We have several of you in this church who are leaders and teachers who lead a small group or some other ministry here in this church, and you are actively discipling those whom God has entrusted to your care. Perhaps God is leading you today to mentor or disciple someone else in your neighborhood or your hobby, whatever it is that you do outside of this place. Jesus gives us this commandment to make disciples of all nations, not only because it's not only his plan to bless the world and to spread his kingdom, but he tells us to make disciples because it's actually the most effective way to spread the gospel. Making dis true disciples, not just converts, but actually taking the time to sit down with someone and disciple them is the most effective way to see the gospel spread exponentially as, as disciples are multiplied throughout the world in exponential ways that we couldn't even imagine. I want to show you just two and a half minutes of this, this, this clip uh, of my, my friend Fran Shaka. He's actually going to be here with us in September for a conference about marriage. It's not a marriage conference. It's a conference about marriage. But I want to show you this video as he makes this point well about making disciples exponentially. I need for you to imagine with me just for a couple minutes that you and I are in summer school before our freshman year in college. And while we're there, we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're hanging out together one night, and uh, the angel Gabriel appears to us, and he offers to us two ministry opportunities, and we have to pick one. 
Uh, the first one will yield a thousand converts every single day for as long as we live. As long as we live. Every day. The second one will yield one disciple a year, every year that we live, but we have to invest everything we have in that one person for that one year. I grab the first option, you take the second. Now at the end of our freshman year, I've got 365,000 converts. There's two of you, you and your first disciple. We get to the end of our sophomore year when we're about 20 years old, and I've got 730,000 people in the kingdom. There's four of you, you and your original disciple, and then you each have one more. We get to our junior year, and there's eight of you, and I've got over a million people. I mean, for real here. I start getting asked to be on Christian talk shows. I get asked to write books like How to Lead Your Pet to Christ. <laughs> I also get asked to write a second book. I really enjoy humility and how I attained it. <laughs> it's mostly pictures, but it's a great book. We get to the end of our senior year in college, and I've reached the equivalent of the city of Philadelphia, and there's 16 of you. All right, we graduate, go our separate ways, we keep cranking out ministry at the exact same rate. I'm doing a thousand a day, you're doing one a year. We get married, we start jobs, we start families. And about the time our first kids are landing on the college campus, about the time that they're in their 18, 19 years old, we discover that our ministries are basically the same. But it gets crazier than that. A decade after that point, when you and I are just coming over the crest of our 50th birthday, we discover something very amazing. I've reached the equivalent of the city of Cairo, Egypt. You, you've reached the world. I mean, you have reached the planet with the gospel. Disciples making disciples is the way that this is supposed to work. If each one of us would disciple one person a year, who would then go and disciple one person a year, we would fulfill the Great Commission. We would make disciples of all nations. But it doesn't happen over Facebook. It doesn't happen over social media. It happens life to life, one-on-one, -on -one, heart to heart. It takes a level of investment. It takes a level of vulnerability. It takes a, a commitment of doing life together in a deep and meaningful way. So two things I wanna close with today. First, where are you personally on your discipleship journey? Are you growing in grace? Are you really being conformed to the image of Christ? Are you looking more like Jesus and less like your fallen, flesh-dwelling, sin-controlled old self? Are you, are you putting on the new resurrection clothes of Christ daily? Are you still wearing the old, comfortable, tattered grave clothes? Do you see progress year by year as you bear out the fruit of the Spirit into the world? And the second thing I want you to think about is, who has the Lord given you to disciple? If you're a parent, I pray that we take that very seriously, discipling our children, 
helping them to be conformed to the image of Jesus. If you're not a parent, who is it that the Lord has entrusted to your care that you are discipling, that you are pouring out into, that you are helping to grow in grace daily? Are you seeking to actively make disciples, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded? Are you seeing God's kingdom break through, not only in your life, but across all the nations of this world? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, your word that shows us your plan to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that plan is through your people, the church. God, you have given us a great commission to make disciples of all nations, each one of us doing life-to-life ministry, pouring out into the lives of those that you have given to us to shape, to influence and to see them grow in the grace and in the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would convict us of complacency in discipleship, our own discipleship and discipling others. Help us to actively engage in the ministry of discipling others as we seek to make disciples of all nations as you have told us. Oh God, we love you. We need you. We thank you that you have promised to never leave us or to forsake us, but that you are with us. We pray all these things in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and and you're ready, you know that the Holy Spirit's been working on you. You you have this burning in your heart. You know that the hound of heaven has been pursuing you. There's no better time than to to come and commit your life to Christ than right now during our time of invitation. If you are doing life kind of on your own and you're you're trying to do this Christian life kind of as a solo act, but you need a church family, we're not a perfect church at all. We're full of imperfect people like me. And guess what? You're one more imperfect person. And we would love to have you join our team and become part of this family of faith as we journey on this discipleship path together as we grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to become a member at Woodmont Baptist Church. Whatever it is that you need to decide today, maybe you just want to come and pray with someone. I'm going to ask Brad McKelvey, maybe you have some physical ailment or some, some need and you just want healing. If you want to pray for healing with, with Brad or with Trey, I'm going to ask Trey to come stand and Jan Bennett, if she'd come as well. If you want to just pray with one of these people or just come to the altar and bring your body to where your soul is up here at the altar, that's fine too. Whatever it is you need to do during this time, we're going to sing, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Let's stand and sing.